welcome to the Great Detectives of Old Time Radio. From Boise, Idaho, this is your host, Adam Graham. If you have a comment, email it to me, box13 at greatdetectives.net. Follow us on Twitter at Radio Detectives and check us out on Instagram, instagram.com slash greatdetectives. If you are enjoying this podcast, I encourage you to follow us using your favorite podcast software. In a moment, we're going to bring you the conclusion of this week's Yours Truly Johnny Dollar serial as we present episodes 3, 4, and 5 of the Ricardo Amarigo matter with the original air dates of January 18th, 19th, and 20th of 1956. And we'll be taking you over to Johnny and Harry and finding out whether Harry Bransom was right about the Amati not being the McCoy. But first, I want to let you know about our sponsor, BetterHelp. You know, in my life, I wear a lot of hats. I'm a husband. I'm a dad. I'm a son. I'm a brother. I'm a podcaster. And because of that, I'm a small business owner. I'm part of my church. And I'm a homeowner, a car owner, and a pet owner. All of those roles take time. And don't get me wrong, some of them are things I love to do, like spending time with my wife and son, or... Or working on the recording and research for the podcast. And others are things that, whether you like them or not, they have to be done. Like, there have been things I've needed to address if I didn't want the lawn to die. And whether I feel like it or not, I better do the books and pay my estimated tax to the IRS. The problem is, it's so easy to get caught up in what everyone else needs from you and never take a moment to think about what you need from yourself. I know I have an ability to keep on going and going until I'm not good to my, for myself and I'm not really good for anyone else either. Because if you live life like that, it can leave you feeling stretched thin and burned out. Uh, therapy can give you tools to find more balance in life so that you are, are continuing to support others without leaving yourself behind. It's helpful uh, to learn coping skills and how to set boundaries. It empowers you to be the best version of yourself. It's not just for those who have suffered a major trauma or debilitating mental illness. If you're thinking of starting therapy, give BetterHelp a try. It's entirely online, designed to be convenient, flexible, and suited to your schedule. Just fill out a brief questionnaire to get matched with a licensed therapist and switch therapists anytime at no additional charge. Find more balance with BetterHelp. Visit BetterHelp.com detectives today to get 10% off your first month. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P dot com Slash Detectives. And now, yours truly, Johnny Dollar. From Hollywood, it's time now for... Johnny Dollar. Yeah, Pete Corbin, Dollar. I found your message when I got in, but I don't know why I'm returning your call after that lacing I took from you. Well, at least you haven't run out on us. Why should I? How would you like to explain what you were doing in Port Morris, New Jersey yesterday afternoon at the scene of the so-called accidental death of your client, Ricardo Amarigo? Oh, yeah, I, th- I, th- I thought that was you I saw in that car down there. It sure was. 
Are you in your office? Yeah, that's right. I thought you wanted well, to Well, stay know... there. I do want to know. That and a lot of other things. I'll see you in about an hour after I've made another call. Okay, okay. I'll be here. Tonight and every weekday night, Bob Bailey and the transcribed adventures of the man with the action-packed expense account. America's fabulous freelance insurance investigator. Yours truly, Johnny Dollar. Expense account submitted by Special Investigator Johnny Dollar. Location, Philadelphia, Pennsylvania. To the Philadelphia Mutual Liability and Casualty Company. Following is an accounting of further expenses during my investigation of the Ricardo Amerigo matter. Expense account item six. $33.75. Dry cleaning and new shirts, socks and so on, including one pair of shoes to replace the ones I lost in the South Jersey swamp while rescuing what I thought was a priceless Amati violin in a muddy tidewater inlet called Lucky Hole Creek. But when I showed it to Harry Branson at Philadelphia Mutual, well, at least he promised to have an expert look it over and pass final judgment. That's the reason for item 7, 85 cents, taxi to Harry's office in the Security First building. Oh, come in, John, come in. Hi, Harry. Well, what have you found out? Nothing yet, but I should hear from the violin man any minute. John, I do hope I was wrong. Sit down. Thanks. Harry, I could have committed mayhem when you told me that fiddle I picked up in the swamp isn't the Amati. To think you nearly drowned retrieving it. Oh, brother, that's putting it mildly. But I'm sure Foresto will know. Foresto? Uh, Foresto Negliario, uh, however he pronounces it, the violin man. He really an expert? Well, he's the one who okayed the $30,000 policy on Amerigo's violin. Well, let's just hope this one's it. Did you learn anything in Port Morris? Only confirm what you'd already learned from Sergeant Peters down there. That someone had sawed through some steering connection on Amerigo's car before it crashed through the bridge? Yeah. Still no sign of the body? Nope. Oh, uh, a man named Adam Bowles called. Oh, he's an old friend. Used to be a private detective and just can't get it out of his system. Oh. Well, he called me, you know. I know. And I must confess, John, that I'm inclined to agree with him. That Peter Corbin, Amerigo's agent, did it? Agent and beneficiary, John. And apparently the one person who knew Amerigo well enough... I said it to Ad Bowles until I was blue in the face, Harry, and I say it again. Too easy. But who else? I don't know. That's what I came back here to find out. All the evidence... Circumstantial evidence. The kind of man that'd be a fool to let pile up against him if he really was guilty. Hmm. Even so... Harry, let me do it my own way, huh? What if this Corbin tries to skip out? Then will be the time to... He's kidding. Yes? Uh, Mr. Sherney Arrow to see you, sir. Sherney Arrow. I, I, I knew that was it. Uh, send him in. Our uh, man is here, John. Foresto? Yes, uh, sure, sure. Oh, well. Uh, come in, uh, <clears throat> Foresto. Meet Mr. Dollar. Yeah, uh, how do you do, Mr. Dollar? You brought the fiddle? Yeah. Uh, right here on the desk. Well? Thank you. I'll open up the case. Well, is it? Mr. Branson, Mr. Dollar, I'm sure. Well? Well, Mr. Cherniero? Cherniero. Look, you've only got to look. Now that I've cleaned away some of the mud and the salt from the swamp where it was found, we're lucky it did not do any real damage to change the appearance. 
But nobody could tell the way you gave it to me. Well, how about now that you've cleaned it up? Yes. Ah, you see here. The shape of the F holes. The curve to the belly. Yeah. The beautiful shape. The signs of age. And above all, here, you see, the label. Label? Through the F hole, you can see it. There. Nicolo Amati. Then it is Amarillo's. See. Si. You're sure, Mr. Chaniero? Hmm. The label says. And Foresto says. Well, look, I talked with a fiddle player in the orchestra at my hotel last night. He told me there are literally thousands of imitations of every important violin ever made. Shape, size, label, and all. Now listen, Foresto. Si. Tell me the truth. Do you really consider yourself an expert? Well, I'm... Uh... I'm a seller violins in my store. Violins, harmonicas, alcorinas, victrolas. How good are the violins you sell? Oh, so good ones. Some as high as $65. Harry, do you mean to tell me, with all due apologies for us, do you mean to tell me he was your authority for a $30,000 policy on Ricky Amarigo's violin? Well, of course, a representative from the Wurlitzer Collection in Chicago verified Foresto's opinion at the time. Gee, we the Wurlitzer know every good violin in the world. Yeah, Harry, let me have it. I'll give you a receipt for it. I'll bring it back when I'm through with it. Whatever you say, John. I assume you want to check further on the authenticity. And you are right. John. Yeah. To put it bluntly, you've still not accomplished very much insofar as Amerigo himself is concerned. With this fiddle under my arm, I think maybe I will. See you later. <laughs> Maybe Harry had been right in the very beginning. Maybe I should have known a little more about music, or more specifically, violins. Or maybe I should have left this aspect of the case to someone else and concentrated on the disappearance death of Ricardo Amerigo. Maybe I... Ah, uh, well. Expense account item 8, 80 cents. Taxi to booking agent Peter Corbin's office. All right, Dollar, let's not waste either your time or either mine. You want to know what I was doing... That's right, Corbin. The Amati. I found it right where you planted it, in that swamp near Port Morris. You actually found it, thank the... What do you mean, where I planted it? What else were you doing down there in the South Jersey swamps? Is that where you found it? Well, you ought to know. But frankly, Corbin, I think you overplayed it a bit when you tucked part of one of Amerigo's monogram shirts there with it. I don't know what you're talking about. Actually, I mean it. Then what were you doing down there? And, brother, you better make it good. The same thing you were. Trying to find out what happened to Ricky Amerigo. I tell you, Dalla, I was his best friend. It's a true fact. If his fiddle was down there, too, I didn't see it. I wish I could believe you. For the way it looks from here, you were willing to have the Amati violin found lying out there in that salt marsh because you couldn't get rid of it without exposing yourself. It didn't put any money in your pocket the way you figure Amerigo's death will. The way it looks from here, Dalla, that's where you're wrong. Yeah? Yeah, actually wrong. If Amerigo's dead, I collect in his insurance as his beneficiary. That's what the policy says, but believe all right, me. All right. But you think I wouldn't collect on the Amati fiddle, whether it was found or if it wasn't found. That's where you're wrong. What are you talking about? Because I'm also a beneficiary to his will. How do you know? <laughs> because I'm not only the sole and only heir in his will, I'm also the executive of... Uh, yeah, executive of his estate, too. Oh. So if I was the heavy... What would I take a chance leaving a $30,000 fiddle laying around in some swamp? Hmm? Cover up? $30,000 worth? All right, what did you do with a hacksaw? You mean somebody sawed up the fiddle? Oh, no, let me see. No, 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 easy, will you? Somebody sawed partway through a steering arm on Amerigo's car to make it crash. Murder? Oh, that's a pretty fair question. 
Oh, no. Oh, no, Dollar, no. Oh, no, who would murder a nice, sweet guy like Ricky? Maybe he was a drunk, maybe he hit the skids, but he had no enemies. He couldn't have. Okay. Pete. Maybe he was just a drunken bum, worthless. He threw away a concert career, but he was still... He was a gentleman, an actual gentleman. And he was a sweet guy. Nobody could have murdered him. Oh, no, no, darling, not Ricky. Pete, Pete, would you... Who was it? Tell me, huh? Who was the lousy punk? I'll kill him. Okay, Pete, I believe you. I don't care whether you believe me or not. Will you tell me who done it? Pete. Ricky. Pete, will you listen to me? I'm listening. Now, look here. Look here and tell me. Is this Ricky's Amati violin? Yeah, that's... That's it. Ah, oh, poor Ricky. Poor drunk. You're sure? Lover. I'm sure. All right, Pete, I'm going to give it to you straight. All I ask is you now, tell listen to me, me will you? Who'd... We don't know who killed Ricky Amerigo. We haven't even found his body. The Port Morris police are still trying, of course, but it... It could have been carried by the tide through that in, inlet, the Lucky Hole Creek, right on out to the sea. Or, of course, it may appear somewhere along the creek. It'll take weeks to search that swamp thoroughly. Now, Anyhow... if they do find him, I want to see he gets a decent burial. Will you promise me? Okay, I'll try. But listen, will you? Because of the sawed-through steering arm, his death was made to look accidental. Double indemnity. And you're the beneficiary. He not only wasn't making you any money because his drinking kept him off the concert stage, but he owed you money, plenty. Now, that's a motive. As for opportunity, who else had as All much right, as you? Nobody, nobody, nobody. But I love the poor guy. I try to keep him alive you to get him back me, in his own. You told me, you told me, and I believe you. But the fact remains that the insurance company, the police, even a pretty smart private detective I know, all figure you for number one suspect. And they hope to accumulate enough evidence to move in on and you. And you're with them, no, huh? No, no. What? Yesterday right here you sure, told me. Sure, I know I did. But I've had time to think it out. Now, pinning it on you is just too easy, much too easy. I'll say it to your face, Pete. You're no metal giant. But only another fool would let circumstantial evidence like that pile up against him and then commit a murder like that. I may be wrong. Lord, help you if I am and find out. But I think you're clean. I swear I am, I'm going to play it that way unless I find solid reason to change my mind. Because, Pete... Yeah, Johnny? You're the one person who can help me in this case. I'll I'll do anything. Actually, anything. Just ask me. All right. Now, first, tell me where you were last Friday evening when Amerigo's car made that dive off that bridge. Alibi? That's right, brother, and you can be sure I'll check it. At Willie's. All right, who's Willie? Willie? Willie Elliott. He's a saxophone player. one of my clients. He was a friend of Ricky's, too. Well, where can I find him? What's his address? Uh, I'll write it down for you. We had a four-handed poker game. Who else in the game? Uh, well, Jerry Goldsmith, one twenty. He know Ricardo, too? Oh, yeah. Composer, conductor, violin player. Fiddle player, huh? Who was yeah. the fourth? Uh, Eric Snowden. Who's he? He's a fiddle maker. He lives at his shop. I'll write that down. Fiddle maker, did you say? Yeah. 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 Yeah, he was the sole and only man Ricky would ever let touch his Amati for repairs and fixing up, you understand? Who else were good friends of Ricardo's? Ah, uh, <laughs> while he was making it, plenty. Lately, nobody. You sure? Oh, nobody. Johnny, I know. Of course, he hung around a lot of bars. He was a regular. Give me a list. Well, let's see. There's a little place over on Pine Street called the Yellow Lamp. Yeah. Expense account item nine, three seventy. A quick sandwich for Pete Corbin and myself and a flock of phone calls to Pete's poker pals. Just to make sure they were in and available when I could get around to see them. I had to phony up an excuse for seeing each of them. A friend of Pete's just in from out of town suggested I give you a call, that sort of thing. And apparently it didn't arouse any suspicion. 
At least it was a start. And for the first time, call it a hunch or whatever you like, I felt I was going to get somewhere on this case. As it turns out, I was. Believe me. Johnny Dollar. You? You are investigate? Hello? What'd you say? Who is this? You are investigate Ricardo Amerigo? Yeah, that's right. I'm investigating the Ricardo Amerigo matter. Who are you? Hello? Hey, listen, do you have some information, a tip on the case? Who are you? Hello? Hello. Hey, what is this, a gag? Yeah. Or is this supposed to be some kind of a cockeyed threat, a warning for me to get off the case? Believe me, this is no gag. Hello? Hello. Expense account submitted by Special Investigator Johnny Dollar. Location, Philadelphia, Pennsylvania. To the Philadelphia Mutual Liability and Casualty Company. Following is an accounting of further expenses incurred during my investigation of the Ricardo Amerigo matter. Expense account item 10, $21 even, for drinks, for me alone. And believe it or not, I'm cold sober. But the least I could do was buy one at each of the bars on the list Pete Corbin gave me. A list of all the places Ricardo Amerigo used to hang out before his disappearance in a South Jersey swamp. In spite of all the circumstantial evidence pointing his way, I still wasn't convinced Corbin had engineered an accident to kill Amerigo. Pete had also given me a list of Amerigo's closest personal friends, three of them. I told them I'd see them later. Meanwhile, I hope to learn something helpful from the places where he apparently spent most of his time during his last few months on this earth. But the result can pretty much be summed up at the last bar on the list, the Hangover Club. There you are. Cost you 80 cents. Here. Keep the change. Oh, thanks. Yeah, it's just like I tell you, mister. You come in here, buy a few drinks, sit and drink them, leave. Well, uh, didn't he ever talk to anybody? <laughs> Not even me. Just sit here and get plastered. Told one of his friends to come in and drag him away. Who? Did you know any of them? Oh, sure. Willie Elliott, saxophone player at the Crystal Room. Oh. Who else? Jerry somebody, fiddle player. <sighs> Jerry Goldsmith. Yeah, they're on my list. Huh? Anybody else? Nah. Oh, yeah, away, sure. His agent, Pete Corbin. Yeah, that's... Hey, if you knew that, why'd you ask me? I've heard the same thing exactly 20 times so far today. Yeah, well, I'll say this for them. They must have loved Amerigo. They might have fought and argued with him when they caught him in here, but it was all for one thing, to try and straighten him out. But, mister, he was too far in. Yeah. Yeah, shame for a talent like him, concert violinist, to hit the skids the way he'd done, but nobody couldn't seem to help. The story had been exactly the same in every bar on the list. Apparently, the only friends, the only associates that Ricardo Amerigo had had were those Pete Corbin had named. Expense account item 11, 110, cab fare to the apartment of William Elliott over on Callowell Street. Same story. No new names of friends or even acquaintances. He and Corbin and Goldsmith and the old English violin maker, Eric Snowden, had known Amerigo for years, good times and bad. Had all tried to help him, straighten him out, were deeply grieved over his death. Item 12, 570, cab to a suburb called Lenark to see Jerry Goldsmith, where I'll admit I expected to get the same story, the same names, no more, no less. 
This time I took the Amati violin with me. Hi. Who are you? I'm Johnny Dollar. Oh, yes, you called. Come in. Friend of Pete Corbin's, you said. Uh, sit down. Mr. Goldsmith, I'll get right to the point. I'm an insurance investigator, and I that came in... That violin case. That... that looks like Ricardo's. It is. And... and the Amati? Yes. Oh, thank God. I found it down in a South Jersey swamp where Amerigo's car plunged off the bridge. It had been lying there, hidden by the marche for several days. Is it all right? May I see it? Well, one reason I brought it along was so you could substantiate identification. I make no bones about it, Mr. Dollar. I coveted this violin like nothing else in the world. I've played many fine instruments, strads, guanieri, even this, my stainer. I see. But Ricardo's Amati, it... There was something between that violin and myself that could exist for no one else. Not even Ricardo Amerigo when he was at his greatest. And when he started his... his terrible downfall. You, uh, wanted it even more, huh? Yes, more than anything else in the world. Enough to kill for him? <laughs> Mr. Dollar, I should kill you for even thinking such a thing. I love Ricardo. Okay, sorry. The fact remains, somebody sawed through a steering arm on his car. I still can't believe that. No one could have killed Ricardo, no one. Only three others beside myself even knew Ricardo these past few years. Corbin, Elliot, and Eric Snowden. Pity him, feed him, clothe him... Try to fight him away from the liquor that had ruined his brilliant career, yes. Even hate him at times for what he'd done to his life, but murder... I'm sorry. May I? Sure. It, uh, is the Amati. Yes. Yes, I know it as well as I know my own. May I play it? Sure. What's the matter? Uh, I don't know. Mr. Dollar, it, it isn't here. The tone, the brilliance, the response, it isn't here. Something's wrong. You're sure this is the Amati? Oh, of course I'm sure, but something's wrong. Something's happened to it. It, it, it isn't the same. Well, you think the dampness of the swamp might no, have done... No, no, you can see. It's, it's all right, but... But it isn't. Well, I, I don't know anything about violins. Well, no cracks, no marks, no damage. Uh, even the sound post. But you're sure it's Ricardo Amerigo's Amati? Yes, yes, I told you so. I couldn't possibly be mistaken. But something is... Mr. Dollar... Well? I, I don't know. You know something? I don't either. I'm afraid I left Jerry Goldsmith rather abruptly and in a rather distressed condition. But I had plans, and the sooner I could carry them out, the better. Item 13 on expense account, 420, taxi fare back into town at the shop of Eric Snowden, violin maker. The only man who'd been allowed to touch Ricardo Amerigo's Amati, except, of course, for the music store owner who'd cleaned it up after I found it in the swamp. 
Yeah, it was possible he had done something to it that would destroy its tone. But for some reason or other, call it a hunch if you like, I hope not. Snowden's shop was located on a colorful little side street. Really not much more than an alley called Eisminger Street. Right in the middle of one of the busiest sections of the city, surrounded by skyscrapers, office stores, and all the traffic that goes with them. This one little alley. Except for Snowden's place, the tiny buildings packed side by side are all residences. Left over from years gone by when this was a residential section. And still unspoiled by the bustling activity around them. Thank you, Mr. Romandy. And I'll be sure to hear you at the Academy of Music Saturday night. Uh, sir, sir. Mr. Snowden? Uh, yes, I'm Eric Snowden, but that, that violin case... I'm Johnny Dollar, I thought you. Oh, please come in. Uh, Mr. Dollar. That's right. It's Ricardo Amerigo's. It's been found. Uh, please let me... Mr. Snowden, I'm an insurance investigator. Part of my job has been recovery of this violin. It's possible loss was the most heartbreaking thing I ever contemplated, but you found it. I uh, think so. You think? I don't understand. Well, here, take it. Examine it. Yes, but uh, not here. Come, we'll go up to my workroom on the second floor, where I can check it thoroughly. I'll lock this front door so we won't be disturbed. Now, come with me, please. I can't believe it. It's so wonderful you found it. It would have been a terrible loss to the world. Yeah, I guess so. Uh, you're not a violinist yourself? No. I'm afraid the only violin music I know is what I hear in... Uh, now, here we are. Oh, quite a shop. Most of the finest violins in the world have been here, one time or another. The Stradivarius of Yasha. It was quite a shop. The, violins the walls of were lined with fiddles Prince in the making Christ and with tools. Some familiar and I some that were... Wait a minute. Hacksaws. A couple of them small and delicate, but one a big one and dirty. As Eric Snowden turned away to open the violin case, I ran my fingers over the blades. Yeah, there was grease on one. Axle grease. Mr. Snowden? Yes, Mr. Dollar. This is Ricardo Emerigo's violin. You're certain of that? Eh? Do you think that I, of all people, wouldn't know? Mr. Dollar, aside from Ricardo himself, I am the only person who has touched this magnificent instrument for years now. I must confess, I resent your least question of my judgment. All right, I'll be honest with you. I don't pretend to know much about violin, so I had somebody play it a while ago. Sacrilege. All right, be that as it may. It didn't sound to him or even to me like a $30,000 violin. And whom did you permit to lay hands on this priceless instrument? A friend. I should be horsewhipped. Only an artist. A great artist should be permitted to handle a thing like this. But I suppose you uh, understand that, Mr. Dollar. I don't suppose you... Well, go on. Mr. Dollar, someone has tampered with this. Oh? Of course it doesn't sound right. Did this friend of yours presume to be a violin maker, too? What do you mean? The sound post, the placement of the bridge. Of course it doesn't sound right. Now, now why does somebody have to... Do you want to answer that? Uh, no, let them wait. This is more important. No wonder you or your friend or anyone else question the validity of this instrument. Hey, whoever that is down there, he really wants you. Look here, a simple adjustment here and here. Oh, bother. Go ahead, I'll wait. All right, I shall be right back. 
It was a quick suspicion when I spotted the hacksaw on the wall, and I couldn't forget the warning over the phone. While Snowden waited on his customer, I poked around the shop some more, looking for goodness knows what, and I found exactly nothing. No doubt Snowden was telling the truth. Until I started to sit down to wait for him, and as I pulled over a stool, I knocked open the door of a cabinet next to his workbench. I started to close it again, and then I saw it. Hanging there on the hook was a violin. I grabbed it out of the cabinet and held it under the light beside the one in Amerigo's case. I held them up together. It was unbelievable. The shape, the color, the markings, nicks on the little pegs you tune them up with, a spot of stain on the scroll, even a tiny, almost indiscernible scratch on the back, an old pencil mark on the inside near the label. It was impossible, but it was true. These two violins were absolutely identical. Johnny Deller. John? John, this is... Don't tell me. Harry Branson at Philadelphia Mutual. Yes, yes, it is. Uh, listen, John, I know you found his Amati violin. Are you sure? But Ricardo Amerigo himself, nothing. And after all, there's not only the $20,000 policy on him, but... What do you mean, am I sure? Are you sure it was Amerigo's Amati violin I found? Why, of course... What do you mean? What if it wasn't? What if it was just an imitation? John, stop it. That's impossible. What do you mean? That $30,000 well-insured fiddle I picked up in the South Jersey swamps may be a phony. Oh, no. For heaven's sakes, come over here to the office and tell me... Oh, take it easy, Harold boy, until I've had time to find out a few things. John? See ya. (laughs) Expense account submitted by Special Investigator Johnny Dollar. Location, Philadelphia, Pennsylvania. To the Philadelphia Mutual Liability and Casualty Company. Following is a final accounting of expenditures incurred during my investigation of the Ricardo Amerigo matter. When Ricardo Amerigo's car was hauled out of a swamp somewhere near Port Morris, New Jersey, there was no sign of his body. Only a sawed-through steering arm on the car that indicated somebody had done him dirt. However, I did find the fiddle. The $30,000 Amati that had helped him become one of the world's top concert violinists. Anyhow, with a fiddle under my arm, I ended up at the shop of violin maker Eric Snowden for final confirmation that it was the genuine Amati that I'd found. This Eric confirmed. However, while we were in the second floor workroom of his shop on Eisminger Street talking about the fiddle, somebody pounded on the street door downstairs. Oh, bother. I'll be back in a moment, Mr. Dollar. And that's when I accidentally, and so help me it was accidental, I knocked open the door of a cabinet and discovered another violin, identical in every respect with the one I'd found in the swamp at the scene of Amerigo's accidental death. Okay, so I did exactly what you would have done. I put the one in the cabinet into Amerigo's case and the one from the case into the cabinet. One of them was the genuine Amati. But which one? I'm sorry, Mr. Dollar, but he was so insistent, I thought he was one of my, uh, shall we say, better clients. As it turned out, it was just a youngster who wanted to see one of the new G-strings. A youngster? (laughs) Oh, I see you're joking. But now, let me take this magnificent instrument, readjust the sound post and bridge so that... No, no, wait, Mr. Snowden. Eh? Uh, It's later than I thought. There are some things I must do immediately. Suppose I come back here later. Very well. Meantime, I shall make the adjustments on the Amati to restore its tone. No, no, I've got to take it with me. But I don't understand. 
There are a few things in this case I don't understand right this minute, but uh, I hope to before very long. Uh, Mr. Dolly, you talk in riddles. Why don't you leave the violin? No, thanks. I'll see you later. Uh, But but please be careful with it. If anything should happen to that priceless... Don't worry. Nothing will happen to it. I found that I'd almost spoken too soon, for I pounded down the stairs, across the floor of the store, and out of the door. Without the caution, the book says one should exercise when leaving a suspect in a case. I'd no sooner got out on the street... It was a flower pot, big enough to have killed a horse in its fall from the upper story window ledge. Oh, no. Good heavens, wait, Mr. Dollar. That was an accident. But I I didn't wait. Expense account item 14, 10 cents. Phone call to Harry Branson at the insurance company to have the police put a man on Eric Snowden's shop immediately to make sure he wouldn't try to skip. Item 15, 7.50 for a cab to the house of fiddle-playing Jerry Goldsmith out in Lanark. Dollar. Hello, Goldsmith. I didn't expect it. But you left in rather a hurry earlier. Sorry, I had to keep a date. Hey, look, Jerry. When I was here before... You still have the violin? Yes. Yes, when I was here earlier and you played it, you didn't seem to think it was really Ricardo Amerigo's Amati. No, no, I, I didn't say that. At least Well, I... at least it didn't sound like it when you played it. Yes, Mr. Dollar, that's right. Oh, now, think a minute. You were a bit upset, excited, uh, whatever you want to call it, when I brought it to you. Yes, that's true. Nevertheless, and I, I think do... you were also afraid I might have suspected you of Amerigo's murder when you admitted his violin was the one thing you wanted more than anything else in life. Except, of course, to have Ricardo straighten out, become himself again, become the artist again, deserve to have this. I don't know. Whatever I say seems to make it sound like a. I don't know. I know, Jerry. Calm down, will you? I'm not trying to pin a murder rap on you. Calm down and do something for me, will you? Why, yes, of course. What? Here. Have you had something done to it to restore the tone it used to it have? It hasn't been touched by anyone else since I laid my hands on it. But I want you to play it again. Yes, of course I will. But didn't you say that some old fool with a music store cleaned it up? Jerry, it hasn't been touched by anyone else since I laid my hands on it. Now play it. All right. Go ahead, Jerry. It's the Amati, isn't it? Yes. Yes, it's it's the Amati. A beautiful, wonderful. Funny. I never realized what a violin could. Can you hear me, Jerry? Yes. Yes. And to think it's taken something like this to lead me to a killer. Expense account item 16, 420. Cab to Philadelphia Mutual, the office of Harry Branson. But if you're right, John, you mustn't go out there alone. Don't you understand if he's the man who planned the murder of Ricardo Amerigo? He wouldn't stop... Yes, yes, I had the police put a man out there to cover his shop. But, John, I still think... Expense account item 17, $1.60. The buck was a tip for going through a couple of red lights. Back to the shop of the violin maker, Eric Snowden. 
Mr. Dollar. Hi, Mr. Snowden. I'm afraid I left you rather abruptly a while ago. Mention it, Mr. Dollar. It's you. I, that, that, that near accident when you left that flower pot, I, I don't know how it possibly could have shifted on the window ledge up there. On the third floor window ledge of this little combination store, workshop, and home of yours. That much I did notice while I was ducking it. If it had come off a second floor window, you know I might have suspected you of giving it a helpful shove. Oh, good heavens, Mr. Dollar, you can't possibly mean that. All right, forget it for the moment. Uh, but how can Let's you... go up to your workshop on the second floor. Come on. Well, well yes, of course. Uh, but uh, may I ask why? I want to show you something, and I think you know what. No, I certainly don't. Unless something has happened to the Amati. Oh, something certainly has. You damaged it since you were here. No such luck. Uh, Mr. Dollar, please, what are you talking about? Okay, here. Now tell me the truth. Is this Ricardo Amerigo's Amati violin? Yes, yes, I've told you so. You're sure? Uh, of course I'm sure. You know something? You aren't, but I am. What? Now open that cabinet there beside your work table. What for? Because I tell you to. But, but I... Uh, just what are you getting at, Dollar? Are you going to open it or shall I? No. Get out of here. This is my shop, my place. You you can't do this sort of thing to me. Would you rather the police did? They're on their way. The police? But I... Well? There's no need to open it. Ricardo Amerigo Zamati is in it. Well, that's where you're wrong. This is the Amati. In this case... The one in the cabinet is the identical copy of the Amati that you made. Yes, Mr. Dollar. Why, Snowden? Because the loss of this priceless instrument would have been unthinkable. $30,000 insurance on it. Oh, money doesn't buy a violin like this. It must be played by an artist, by many artists, like the artist Ricardo was. So... So when Ricardo disappeared... Or was murdered? When Ricardo disappeared, I had to make sure that the Amati would, would still... I didn't murder him. Isn't this the hacksaw that cut the steering rod on his car? Well, Snowden, isn't it? Yes. Uh, no, I and mean... And because of it and your crazy plan to keep the real Amati, you and you alone are going to take the rap for Amerigo's murder. No, no, please. Ricky! Ricky? you, sir, that's right, Mr. Dollar. I'm Ricardo Amerigo. You're what? The dirty, drunken has-been that started all this. Sawed through the steering rod on my car, wrecked it in the swamp, left some of my clothing there. That phony fiddle was my idea. Not to collect the insurance on it, not that alone. But to make sure it could come back again. Be played again by somebody that deserved to play it. The way I... The way perhaps one time I deserved to play it. But, Ricardo... A man disappears, murder, or whatever. There's a fuss about it for a while, and it's over. But this... No. No, this must live. This violin. You will now. And the world will be the better for it. But you... And this apparent murder... The insurance was my last hope of paying back Pete Corbin, my agent, and the others who tried so hard to straighten me out. Pay back some of the money and the heartbreak they spent on me. Or 
let your insurance company pay him back, because I never could. I couldn't even leave my hiding place here in Eric's house, because I knew that sooner or later he'd pity me enough to give me more of the drink that's been all I've been living for. Eric, God bless him, Eric knew, of course, but only he. Be kind to him, if you can. Ricky. That's all, Mr. Dollar. Oh, unless... Will you buy me a drink before you call in the police? Expense account item 17, 850. One bottle of the best I could buy before I called in the police. Item 18, hotel in Philadelphia, miscellaneous fare, back to Hartford. Total expense account, 182.65. Remarks? No insurance payment necessary on either the Amati or the man. And I guess he really was a man. More than he knew. What the courts will do about him and about Eric Snowden, well, the courts will do. And I'm glad I have to have no part in it. <laughs> you know, it's funny... Somehow I think I have a little better appreciation for music now than... Oh, well. Yours truly, Johnny Dollar. Remember, there'll be another intriguing story for you beginning next Monday night. Next week, the Duke Red Matter. A racehorse that could only be stopped by a killer... And the killer didn't stop with horses. Join us, won't you? Yours truly, Johnny Dollar. Yours truly, Johnny Dollar, starring Bob Bailey, is transcribed in Hollywood. It is produced and directed by Jack Johnstone, who also wrote this week's story. Heard in the cast were Harry Bartell, Lawrence Dobkin, Victor Perrin, Barney Phillips, Forrest Lewis, Eric Snowden, Herb Vigran, and James McCallion. Musical supervisor and violinist, Amerigo Marino. Be sure to join us on Monday night, same time and station, for another exciting story of yours truly, Johnny Dollar. This is Roy Rowan speaking. Welcome back. Well, this is an interesting serial in that it was the first serial written by Jack Johnstone. And as far as I can tell, 
this is the first time John Stone wrote for radio. Although, judging by his history of using pseudonyms uh, later on, it's quite possible that he had written some scripts under a pseudonym. And for most of the series, that was what was happening, because for the first four episodes, uh, obviously we didn't hear credits on this presentation for episodes three and four, but we heard the ending of episode two on Tuesday, and it was Sam Dawson who was listed as the writer, and then by Friday, it changed to Jack Johnstone. Johnstone is not, in my opinion, on the same level as the other three writers who wrote the serials. E. Jack Newman writing as John Dawson, Les Crutchfield, and Robert Rife. But that doesn't mean John Stone was bad. He had a very different set of skills. As a showrunner on series like The Adventures of Superman and The Man Called X, he certainly had a lot to say about creative direction and characters. And he would, of course, become the sole writer on Johnny Dollar in the latter years of the program. And in many ways, his writing was a step down. But in other ways, it was actually ahead of its time compared to the more popular TV private eyes that were on the air. It definitely has to be said that John Stone does his homework. There can be a sense in many radio programs and television uh, programs of the 1950s that they're set in a very generic place and that generic things happen. But when John Stone writes, whether it's on a topic or location, he has some touches in there. I think, obviously, one thing that stands out is the type of violin we were talking about with the Amati. In fiction, you always hear about Stradivarius. You want to write about an expensive uh, violin? Oh, my Stradivarius. But the Amati is a real uh, type of violin. And Amati was a family of violin makers whose work goes back to the mid-16th century. And not only violins, but also some cellos. And then the way that the musicians talked, it really felt realistic. And that they were talking about how you judged actual instruments. Now, of course, I'm saying that as a layman. There may be a violinist who might take some issue with it, but to me, as someone who, uh, as I was talking about on Tuesday, is not particularly familiar with the ins and outs of musical instruments, it said to me that, yeah, this this sounds like these people uh, know what they're talking about. I also feel like this is a story that's, helped by the music and the way the violin is played. And the second time that Jerry played the violin, when it was the real Amati, the way that he finished felt very emotional. And of course, the playing when you actually have the Amati is really, really good. And that's a combination of great 
violin playing, good writing, and superb direction. And there's also, I think, an ethic at the heart of the story that we don't really relate to as much today is the idea that Ricardo Amarigo's gifts and the violin itself were in some ways a sacred trust. And we tend to view things in a lot more of an individualistic way. If you go down the path of drug and alcohol abuse and ruin your mind and your potential in a field where you were gifted, you've only hurt yourself. And of course, if you happen to own a really fancy violin, that's yours. You can go sell it to go and square your dance or whatever. Yet the idea is that Ricardo was given a trust and a gift not just for him, but to share with the world, and that he ultimately betrayed that, which is why he wanted the violin to go to someone else who would one day have those same gifts that he had thrown away. Whether that's too harsh or not, uh, you can certainly debate, but it's a very different way than we would view it in the 21st century. The other thing that I think makes Jack Johnstone appeal to people in the 21st century is that a lot of us love Easter eggs. And while other writers would occasionally insert them, or stars of programs would add them in, as we've heard with Sam Spade, when Jack Johnstone sat down to write a script, he might as well have been dressed as the Easter Bunny. He was noted for including the names of real people in his stories. While Johnny Dollar having characters named Alice Cooper and Jimmy Carter is purely coincidence, it's unlikely that the appearance of a character named Jerry Goldsmith is, because the soon-to-be-famous composer was working at CBS at the time, and is likely a case where John Stone wrote him into the story. Less imaginatively, he had Eric Snowden playing a character named Eric Snowden. Now, as far as I know, Eric Snowden, the actor, was not also a violin maker. He did, however, play Dr. Watson in the almost completely missing 1949-50 to a series of the new adventures of Sherlock Holmes over ABC with Ben Wright as Sherlock Holmes. And of course, the biggest uh, use of a name is that Ricardo Amerigo was a clear nod to the music director Amerigo Marino. Now, if I were uh, Mr. Marino, I don't know how I would feel about the naming, and I kind of wonder how it was discussed, or if it was discussed beforehand. If Jack Johnson was like, Hey, Amerigo, I'm writing the next script, and I'm going to name a character after you. And Marino's like, Oh, th that sounds great. Uh, who is it? Oh, he's a very talented violinist and musician. And Amerigo's like, oh yeah, that sounds like a wonderful character who totally throws his life away and wastes his talent. 
Um, are you trying to tell me something? No, no, I'm not trying to tell you anything. It's just a fictional character who, like you, is a musician who throws his life away, who I am naming after you. Um, thanks, I think. For the record, Mr. Marino actually had a fantastic musical career. He became conductor of the CBS Orchestra. He also guest conducted the New York Philharmonic. And then in 1964, he moved to Birmingham, Alabama to lead the Birmingham Symphony Orchestra, later the Alabama Symphony Orchestra, and he did that for 20 years, really built up the reputation of that entire program, and is actually in the Alabama Music Hall of Fame. So if you're ever in Tuscumbia, might be worth uh, checking out. Now, the story itself has, I think, a couple of really odd things continuity-wise. I kind of feel like that this story was written perhaps on a bit of short notice, and it may have been a situation where John Stone wanted someone else to write it, but they fell through at the last minute, because the mistakes are somewhat noteworthy, if not major. Let's start with part four. Everybody remember back to that accented voice who called Johnny up to try to scare him off the case. Who was it? Amerigo didn't have an accent. And there was really no follow-through on the threat, because I kind of believe Eric Snowden that it really was just an accident. So nobody actually came after Johnny on the case. And even if it was a crank, we're not to the point in the series where it's been established that Johnny's adventures are on the air, and nobody would actually have had a way of knowing he was on the case. So that entire fourth part opening, either they were planning on taking the story another direction, and they didn't remove that opening, which belonged to the other direction, or... Yeah, definitely a gap there. And then the fifth part opening. When did Harry Branson's call to Johnny happen? Because after Johnny left Snowden's place, he ended up calling Harry. Harry did not call him. Now, this could have been be fixed a little bit if, if Harry had said something to the effect of, John, I found out somehow that you were at Eric Snowden's. Now, that would still present a bit of a logical problem since you typically don't answer a phone when you are in the midst of stealing a priceless violin and trying to hide that you're doing it from the person who uh, has it illegally. But then again, back in the Valentine matter, Johnny picked up a ringing phone when he was full of emotion after the woman he was attracted to had been gunned down right before his eyes and he was in hot pursuit of the killers. He still picked up the phone. What can I tell you? The man cannot resist a ringing phone. You have to give that some context. It's also a little bit weird that Harry was like, no, it's not possible that this isn't the real Amadi, since at the end of part two, he had been the first person to raise a suspicion that this was not the same instrument. 
So there are some significant continuity errors within this story, which really should have been caught during editing. And that makes me suspect that this was rushed out for some reason. But that doesn't cancel out what really does make it interesting, and certainly being the story that introduced Harry Branson really is a point in its favor, and I enjoyed it despite its few head-scratching moments. Well, now it's time to thank our Patreon supporter of the day, and I want to go ahead and thank Gigi. Gigi has been one of our Patreon supporters since February 2020, currently supporting the program at the Shamus level of $4 or more per month. Thank you so much for your support, Gigi. And that will actually do it for today. If you are enjoying this podcast, I encourage you to follow us using your favorite podcast software. And if you are listening on YouTube, be sure to like the video, subscribe to the channel, and mark the notification bell. All those great things that help make YouTube channels grow. We'll be back on Tuesday with another Johnny Dollar serial. But join us back here tomorrow for Tales of the Texas Rangers, where... Is the gun on the counter, Mr. Baker? Yeah, that's it, Ranger. I was trying to get it away from the guy when it went off. I never should have done it. I should have just given him the money. The general might be alive right now if I had. Now, there's no use figuring that way, Tom. Well, it's... You cover him up with those towels. Yeah, I couldn't stand them people looking in at him. Yeah, I know how you feel, Tom. All of us who knew him had a soft spot for the old boy. You know, it's a funny thing. I never did know his real name. Mm Mm-hmm. How'd the killer escape? The truck. I fired at him a few times before he drove off. You hit him? I don't think so, but I know I put a couple holes in the back of the truck. What kind was it? Half-ton pickup, painted red. Did you get the license number? No, I didn't. How about the make and year? Well, I don't know the make, but I'd say it was about a 34 model. Where was the truck parked? Under the live oak over there. You can see through the window here. That's right over there. Uh-huh. And it was parked kind of catty corner, so he had to jump in the right side. Could you see into the cab? No, I couldn't. What'd the man look like? Oh, about average height, dark hair, just an ordinary looking guy. How old? In his 20s, I'd say. How was he dressed? Denim pants, the black cowboy shirt with white piping, like tore his sleeve off when we was fighting. We'll put out an all-points bulletin, Sheriff. You might not find it so easy to hide a red truck with bullet holes in it. I hope you'll be with us then. In the meantime, send your comments to Box13 at GreatDetectives.net. Follow us on Twitter at Radio Detectives and check us out on Instagram. Instagram.com slash Great Detectives. From Boise, Idaho, this is your host, Adam Graham, signing off.